Hi everyone! If you like what you've been hearing, please consider subscribing to the Patreon at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon. That's H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. The Patreon's really the lifeblood of the podcast. It lets me dedicate the time that I need to play the games, to talk to our guests, to really set everything up and, and make everything as sharp as it is. Um, without it, uh, no cartridge really wouldn't exist the way it does today. If you don't like monthly pledges, I totally get it. Uh, there's also paypal.me backslash Hagelbon, and we can try and figure something out there. Or you can email me at nocartridgeaudio at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, and I will try and answer your emails as quickly as I can. Thanks so much for your support, and enjoy the show. mic on good um welcome to caveat welcome to no cartridge live really happy to have you here um i'd like to waste no time and introduce my co-host tonight uh olivia brissard please come on out hello hello trevor hello olivia you know olivia from no cartridge after dark and you know our next guest from his many many games uh that he wrote directed um and probably played at some point uh josh sawyer Welcome, Josh. Right, we can all sit down. Awesome. All right. Oh, someone already said your shirt's good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, basically today we're going to be playing two games that Josh uh, gave to us or recommended for us. Uh, he will be introducing them while he plays them. One of them needs no introduction, uh, which is, of course, uh, the original Fallout, which I, I, I feel the connection will be obvious, but I'm sure we can talk about New Vegas and stuff. The other, a much more abstract and uh, obscure RPG that uh, I hadn't heard of before now, but is totally fascinating. Uh, maybe some of you have. Um, but Josh, like, uh, real quick, uh, what, is your, what is your connection generally to like, the RPG form? Like, how, how do you think about your, uh, obviously you've written, you've directed a lot of them, but like, just you as a, as a person, as an individual. Um, yeah, I mean, I started playing, I guess I started playing tabletop role-playing games first back in the early 80s. I played tabletop, um, blue book, D&D, uh, Actually, it was Red Book, uh, Basic D&D, and then Expert D&D. And then I started playing CRPGs with Bard's Tale. Okay. Um, I, I met a guy at the local public library named Tony Unati, and he was playing Bard's Tale 1 on a Commodore, and I was like, oh, my God, like, this is so incredible. I can't believe it, um, which looking at it now, it looks very primitive. But, like, <laughs> at the time, I was just blown away. Um, and then through Tony, I was introduced to some older kids who played Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and then I started playing Wizardry and the Ultimas and eventually the Gold Box games, Pool of Radiance, uh, that series, and then RPGs from that point on. And so for most of my life, I've really been 
really immersed in tabletop role-playing games and computer role-playing games. And I'm most interested in computer role-playing games when they try to emulate what I feel are the best aspects of the tabletop experience, which is really about freedom of player expression, uh, freedom to build the character that you want, play how you want, um, without a lot of arbitrary restrictions about how you develop the story and where you go in the world. Hmm. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And uh, I've read the Chick track, so I'm wondering, uh, when did you first join your uh, satanic Wiccan cult? And uh, <laughs> who did you have to sacrifice to get in? Um, uh, that remains classified. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I actually wanted to ask before we got to the games, and I'm, I'm, I just want to make sure we get to it, because uh, I, I, the, the connection is super interesting to me, and I'm not sure what you guys would think of it. But I know, so Josh, you're more invested in like CRPGs, tabletop. Liv, I know you played a lot of, well, I mean, you played a lot of RPGs, but you've mm-hmm. also played a lot of MMOs. You're like a big wor- a World of Warcraft head. Yes, uh, I think that's, <laughs> that's accurate. So I wonder like, how do you understand, like taking Josh's answer, like what do you think about your connection to, to RPGs then? Like is it, is it similar? Do you like the sort of like um, open-endedness or is it something different when you're playing an MMO? Well, yeah, I think they're like two different kinds. Like uh, WoW is not about player creation or your own personal <laughs> story as much as they like try to refer back to it. Sometimes it's very artificial, but I like both of them. I like both styles. I like the theme park walk through a world um, versus like having your own character and being able to uh, forge your own path. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, no. But that's so interesting to me, too, like, uh, looking at it from the outside. I've played a lot of RPGs, but I came at them more from, like, the JRPG, like, Super Nintendo, Boom, Final Fantasy, Chrono Trigger, that kind of stuff. Um, And then got into CRPGs later, and I just bounced right off MMOs. But part of it's because I feel like I'm not there for the whole story. Like, uh, I'm missing some of the story, and part of it is just, like, the quality of MMOs are so different from any other RPG that really is out there right now. Like, if I played New Vegas, that feels like an RPG to me in a way that WoW doesn't, even though WoW is probably much more D&D, like, much closer to the source material of sure. D&D. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, just kind of a, a thought I had. But uh, if the thoughts have run out, I think we should start to go to the game. <laughs> yeah, let's keep right. the thoughts to a minimum. Yeah, we got it, we got no it. Thinking. So, uh, if Josh, yeah, hey. Are we diving in here? We are diving in. Nice. Josh Barman, everyone. Round of applause. Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. (laughs) I'll try to sit up straight here. Uh, Ooh, hold on. Here we go. Everyone see that? All right, this is Darklands. How many of you even know what Darklands is? All right, solid four people. That's pretty good. That's (laughs) more than I thought. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so this is a, this is a role-playing game that came out in 1992. It was made by uh, Microprose Labs, uh, rest in peace. And um, it's a historical, historical fantasy role-playing game set in uh, right at the turn of the 15th century, 15th century Holy Roman Empire. And uh, it is unlike really any other RPGs that I've played. Um, it uses uh, medieval Germany as its setting. So this is a map of the Holy Roman Empire, and this is, these are actual you know, German cities as they were at the beginning of the 15th century. Um, the main designer on this was a man named Arnold Hendrick, and he had a degree in history, and he just did tons of research, and so everything in the game is really designed around um, being true to the source material. The only exception really is that mythological things 
that people believed in this time period and place are a part of the world. So it supposes that witches are actually real and that shrats and, you know, that the wild hunt is a real thing, um, that you can pray to Catholic saints and they will intercede on your behalf, um, that alchemy, as it was understood in this time period, is real, so you don't have traditional wizards or traditional clerics. Um, It's all really built around this idea of capturing the spirit of this historical place and time. And it's honestly probably one of the big reasons I wound up going, getting interested in history and then went to school and got a history degree. So, uh, yeah, but it's really strange. Um, the characters, the way that characters are built was very unlike any game that I had played at the time. There are no character classes. Um, everything is a learn by doing system. So all of these skills, by the way, this is, this is 320 by 240 resolution. So the, uh, the font is pretty hard to read. So this is weapons edged, weapons impact, weapons flail, weapons polearm, weapons thrown, weapons bow, weapons missile device. Um, you gain skills by using them, learn by doing system. Uh, you can also train at a guild. Um, so again, it's all very historically based. So you're, really, you're, you're maining this guy on swords, is what I'm seeing. Yes. So yeah, that, that's my sword guy. But then I also have uh, my impact, my hammer guy. You can see his, his nice military hammer there. And of course, all the arms and armor are very um, historically derived. So you notice that nothing really looks fantastic. It's all basically what you would see in, at, as the height of armor and weapon development in Germany around this uh, period of time. This is another impact uh, lady with uh, a bow. I know that th- this is, uh, they only had one model, so everything kind of looks like a mannequin. <laughs> um, the yellow armor is very fetching. Yes. Um, and this is, uh, this is a, what is this guy? Oh, he's another, he's a throne. He, oh, he's my alchemist. He has to have a good throwing skill because alchemists, they don't cast spells, they make potions, but then if you want a fireball, you throw a potion, <laughs> and the potion explodes. Like LARPing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's exactly like LARPing with, with high explosives. Um, but yeah, you have, all, you have skills of alchemy, uh, religion, virtue, which is sort of your religious virtue, which is necessary for praying to saints. Speak common, speak Latin, which comes up a lot. So if you try to get into institutions of higher learning or certain churches, uh, if you have a poor speak Latin, they won't let you in. So it's just, it's, it's, it's a, no, for real. Like, it's just, it's an interesting, um, interesting game. And I'm just going to play it and you can ask me questions. Great. <laughs> Liv, do you think you have a better speak common or speak Latin? Oh, I don't think anything I say is common. I think it's all a bit <laughs> uncommon. It's all Greek to me. <laughs> so in this game, like, so actually you're going to do one of the things that you did earlier and actually like totally surprised me in this game. So I'm going to let you do that um, and not, not predict it. But this thing you're about to do is very much in line with that, that kind of fantastical element, right? Like, yes. Um, so, I mean, do you find that this game accurately reflects like the religious feeling of the time? Like, I, I know you were saying like, you don't have to be a Christian in this game, but it certainly helps. Like you're sort of yeah. Like, I mean, so it's it's interesting. It does something that I think um, it does something that uh, Ars Magica, which is a tabletop game that I love, also does, where they present in Ars Magica they call it mythic Europe. Mm-hmm. It's like this is 13th century Europe, but also there are actual wizards and actual demons and actual like whatever. So um, to do that though, they kind of have to say. Well, they don't have to, but what they do in Ars Magica is they essentially say that 
the Christian God is like a real thing and does have dominion over everything. Uh-huh. And so in Darklands, because the beliefs of the time were that God did have dominion over everything, so there is like, you you pretty much have to be Catholic if you want to pray to saints. Um, and so it does present a world through the lens of like, yes, this is how people would view this. Okay. Um, some of the attitudes towards witches, I feel like maybe are a little more... Um, this is a little early for the attitudes of the time. So like I actually wound up going to school and studying history and getting a degree focused on witch hunting. Um, and a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of this game is about hunting witches. And um, in the early 15th century, people weren't quite as obsessed with uh, witch hunting. Um, but like, yeah, this guy is, he's a witch. Um, I, lo- I love how sly, <laughs> I was saying this before, I like how sly he is that he, he's sort of just like, oh, there's little to tell. We work, live, and try to follow the scripture's sayings, especially. Then he picks the most Satanist possible, like, uh, thing. <laughs> he shall be as the gods, knowing good from evil. So, like, yeah. The scripture is about eating from the tree of knowledge, and that being good. Yes. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's, uh, you find these little villages all over the world, and they're kind of procedurally generated. So, some of them will appear and then disappear. And whenever you talk to the Schultz in a town, Schultzes are kind of like town leaders, sheriffs. Um, when they say this line, it means the town is satanic. Um, <laughs> and That's right, everyone. If only it were so easy in real life. <laughs> and it's actually, the way, it's actually the way that you get into the main plot, the main plot. So this game is really an open world game. Um, if, you, if you play the old Might and Magic games, um, at least the ones that I played, those games would just drop you in the world and they wouldn't tell you really what the story was. You'd have to kind of like find it over time. And in Darklands, it literally starts you in a random town on the map and then you just have to play until you find one of these towns and then defeat them, and then that like it actually chains you into the main story. So um, the other way you can find out if a town is satanic is when you go to talk to the Schultz, you can pray to a saint that is good at exposing Satanists. So um, <laughs> what, One of the two. Yeah, I'm going I'm <laughs> to pray. So this is a, this is a neat thing. I, I will say that Pillars of Eternity, the scripted interaction system, borrowed very heavily from some of the experiences I had in this game. I was going to ask you how this, how this, like, is it seems like this game in particular would have inf- influenced your development of, of the Pillars games. Yeah, very much so. So basically, I mean, this game was made in 92. So, um, you know, the graphics are pretty primitive and the way that they represent moving through a town or doing action events was through narration and illustration. And when we were making Pillars of Eternity, I'm like, well, we're not going to do big cutscenes. We're not going to do a lot of crazy stuff. So why don't we do illustrations and just, you know, use, use words to tell a story. Um, and, uh, and that was really the approach that we took. But that's what, that's what Darklands does. So, for example, here, um, this is a saint. Um, so he can also sense evil in farmers and peasants. Great. That's exactly <laughs> what I need. Um, my chance of success is 53, which is based on... Um, based on my virtue, Mm -hmm. Um, but I can spend more divine favor. So this yellow bar over on the side is my divine favor. Is that that an example of like a, uh, an indulgence? Are you spending an indulgence there? No, no, no. This is, this is, I've, I've earned up. I've been, you, and actually it's funny. So when you form, when you go to, uh, if you go to church, you can actually pray to regain divine favor. If you set camp, instead of doing other things around the camp, you can pray to regain divine favor. So it's really like manna for calling on saints. Um, so I'm going to pray now and (laughs) so yeah, now, uh, this is basically revealing she, uh, Beata is the one doing the praying. She receives a vision and the Schultz basically looks like a demon and says, this is the true appearance of the, of the, of the devil. 
um, he controls the Schultz's actions. So two signs that these guys are big Satanists. <laughs> and oh, by the way, uh, so I'll show you some other crazy stuff you can do. So I'll go to the church. I'm going to go to confession. Uh, once inside the confessional, uh, Mikhail speaks to the village priest and tells him all the sins, but as the priest asks him to do very particular <laughs> acts of penance, saying, to simulate the passion of our Lord, you must slowly kill a small animal. <laughs> then you must recite ten prayers backwards. Finally, in celebration of your remission of sin, you must drink so much sacramental wine that you fall unconscious. I can provide the wine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to think. <laughs> something's off about Something's this not right here. <laughs> so, yeah, so here's where things get wild. I'm going to accuse his Hamlet of satanic practices. <laughs> Seems risky. What, what, what's great is that because this game, um, every village basically works the same way, you can just go into towns and be like, Satanists. And they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> get the fuck out of here. You're like, oh, my bad. But then the next one you go to, you're like, you're Satanists. And they do this. You're right. You know? Uh, yeah, so if you accuse actual Satanists in the game, then they attack you. So... Yeah, they have been hospitable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's, it, it feels like a shame that they have to attack you now because, like, you know, they let you in. They let you go to the church. Yeah, the it, was all, it, was all, it was all fine for a bit. Yeah. yeah. Come on. <laughs> so this is uh, one of the interesting things. I think there's one game uh, before this was made that had real-time with pause, but this is one of the earliest role-playing games that had a real-time with pause combat system. Explain real-time with pause. So most role-playing games prior to this had some form of turn-based where each character would go turn by turn. Um, in this game, you st the game starts, or combat starts paused. And so, for example, Beata, um, she's highlighted, and I'm going to press M for missile weapon. This is a great interface. Um, <laughs> and then target that guy, and then I'm going to select Hato, and he is also going to use a missile weapon on that guy, and we're basically all going to shoot that guy. Um, <laughs> are we all ready to... Oh, you're not ready, okay. We're all ready to so, shoot that so guy. So it's all paused, <laughs> and then when I hit pause, then people start moving. Oops, Mikhail, you're not supposed to walk up there. Get back here. So it's all pretty slow. Um, you can see them reloading their crossbows. That's, that's actually what that <laughs> animation is. They're not, like, <laughs> doing something obscene. <laughs> That should be the Satanist. What yeah. Doing. That's the DLC. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but at any point in time, I can just pause and issue new commands or have someone move or do something else. So right now, this dude's creeping up on Beata, so she's going to peel off and attack him, and I'm going to have Hato peel off and attack him. And we just wasted that dude, so these two guys are going to... Yeah, they're just going to go pound the crap out of this guy. You By the way, this, this, this is the actual pace that the game ran at back in 92, so something's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> something's very right. Yes. Um, actually, one of the things that you were telling us before the show, I really want you to tell now. So this game came out with a lot of bugs. Yeah. Um, and like, was, uh, looking at its Wikipedia page, you'll see like people really praised it for being ahead of its time and stuff like that, but also they were like, if you're playing it, you really have to put up with the fact that it is basically the buggiest game alive. Yes. Um, and you were telling us about patches that they made. So like patches now, if you guys play video games on the PC, patches just come through. You download them real quick, they, they come through. You know, week one patches are very, very common. We know we have a lot of mistakes. Here's the thing that'll fix it. Yes. So Not so here. No, so this game came out in 92, and this might be hard for some of you to sort of picture, but it came on eight three and a quarter inch floppy disks. 
Yes. <laughs> like, for real. And it was eight three and a quarter inch floppy disks. It was a 20 meg install, which at the time was enormous. Um, like, I had a 100 meg hard drive, which at the time was like, holy shit, 100 megs. And, um, and each save game was half a meg, which was just, like, obscene. Um, because they were tracking so much stuff in the game, like this big world state. So it was eight disks, and then there were two patches that came out and those, to get them, you had to send a letter <laughs> to Microprose Labs and be like, hey, can I have a patch disc? And then they would, like, mail you a 3.5-inch floppy, and you would do it. Also, configuring the, the memory for um, this, this was such a... Because um, back, back in the DOS days, you actually had to do memory configurations manually in your, in your startup. Sure. And this was a... I can't remember how... how how much memory this took, but it was really up toward the upper limit. It was like a big pain in the ass. So, <laughs> so yeah, Liv, fun, fun game. Have you ever had to use? You're 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 a little bit younger than us. Have you ever had to use DOS like primarily as a system? Mm-mm. You've never. Uh, do you do you know how to use DOS? Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, sure don't. I feel like I feel like we have a like a, a, a falling level of of expertise in DOS, where like Josh, you <laughs> seem to you probably have a pretty good handle on it. I mean, I, a long time ago, yeah. But I bet, I <laughs> it's like riding a bike, right? Uh, not quite. <laughs> very very strange bike. Yeah, it's very. Weird. Um, I can I can like muddle my way through it a little bit because we had an Apple IIe, and but not much more than that. And yeah. then You have blissfully never learned it, which is probably one the of best the many fate. things that I've blissfully never learned. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I do want to point out very helpfully, so anytime you find a satanic village and you kill them, it says, uh, (laughs) they always go, we're going to have our revenge west of Lüneburg on October 31st. (laughs) And then they just dip. Um, But uh, so this is actually how you get into the story. So if you actually go to that location on any other day of the year, it's just like a weird place that gives you a strange vibe. And if you go there on the day, though, there's a witch's Sabbath. And then you participate in it, and when you com- when you like deal with all that stuff, then it like puts you onto the the main plot line, which is about Templars who are actually Satanists. I like how it how it tells you it, it does the sort of Obsidian thing, not Obsidian thing, the the, the Oblivion thing or Skyrim or uh, uh, any of those uh, uh, Elder Scrolls <laughs> games where it kind of puts a really important note on it and says like. This date seems significant. So, <laughs> you know, definitely... Yeah. Uh, I mean, not that there's any journal or note-keeping system in the game. Right. So, like, every quest... It's... This game... This game had radiant quests, like, 20 years before Skyrim. Um, but there's no journal. <laughs> and so, like, you can go to any town in, in the Holy Roman Empire, and people will just throw a, a procedurally generated quest at you, and you just have to write it down, <laughs> go do it, and then remember to come back to that guy to get your reward. It's like um, did you have a, mess- a notebook? What's that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I grew up in an era where you basically had to map everything yourself, and you had to write down notes for everything manually. Um, so I was like, oh, yep. <laughs> so I have all these notebook pages that are just scribbling, like, you know, um. You know, <laughs> like nor- cave northeast of Ulm helmet question mark, and then but then I'd have to remember like oh yeah that was from uh, Lubeck I have to go back to Lubeck for that quest. <laughs> so it's just uh, just taking notes for your parents when someone calls the yeah. game. All right, I'm gonna pray pray to Saint Boniface and hope that Saint Boniface can. Um... So this is the thing that I actually really liked is that each of these saints it shows the mechanical stuff toward the end, but at first it it gives you a brief like hey this is actually who the saint was, um, which is kind of neat like. You, I actually did learn some, some history through playing the game, which is pretty neat. And it's, it's why today you're such a big-time Catholic, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> 
So yeah, it, it does. It's used for scripted interactions, but then all the saints also usually have some um, bonus. Like a, like in this case, my etched weapon skill went up. Okay, settle down. <laughs> so yeah, and this is showing how I, I blew up the uh, I blew up the altar with holy power. Nice. The ground is scorched with a cleansing heat, and you hear a distant choir as if angels <laughs> approve of this act. <laughs> As wow. if. As if. <laughs> the altar has been purified and my virtue went up. Awesome. So yeah, I did it. I destroyed this town. <laughs> well, see ya. <laughs> back on the road. Good for you. Well yes. done. Uh, let's see if I can get back over. I'm going to try to... Overland travel is super treacherous. Let's see if I can get murdered. This will be nice. See if I can get murdered. It's. I don't know. I always hate... Wolves. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like script interaction. So there's a Woodwise skill, and I'm going to try to use it. And, oh, so that little clock that was going around, that actually uses church hours. So Prime, Vestors, wow. Terrace, like it uses all the church's canonical hours for tracking time. Um, all right, get out of here, Wolves. I will say I dated uh, someone whose last name was Wolfson, and she her one of her biggest pet peeves about video games is how poorly wolves are portrayed. <laughs> she really, really disapproved of uh, all of the portrayals of wolves as being just bloodthirsty and games forcing you to just brutally murder them. Yeah, all the time. the hope punk wolves? Hope yeah. Punk. <laughs> Do you think she would have liked uh, like Sif from uh, from Dark Souls, the the wolf that's really nice and like is sad probably. that his owner died? Yeah, probably. Yeah. You still have to kill it. It's just yeah. sad. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, one other thing. So like I just went to Lunaberg here and this is uh, the uh, Arnold Hendrick, he, he basically tried to portray every city as it actually was at that time period. So like if there was a specific church or a specific like feature in that town, then it would also be there in the game, which is okay. pretty cool. Um, and it also will say like, you know, like as a free city, uh, the, the Rod of the Reichstädte has selected the Frogger to direct day-to-day affairs. So other places will be like, oh, this is actually under the, under the province of the Archbishop of Trier or the Archbishop of Mainz or whatever. So like you actually learn about what the, the geopolitical state of the Holy Roman Empire was in the early 15th century. So was this, I mean, I'm thinking about this game as like religion and history and all this stuff. Like, did you use this game as, a, as an excuse to your parents that, uh, that video games weren't a waste of time? Like no. I feel like this would be a classic <laughs> example of one of those. No, um, I mean, I would go on and on about how cool it was, and they're like, that's nice. Um, <laughs> but no, I, 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 didn't, I didn't need to really convince my parents. Um, yeah, when I was young, there was a brief point in time where people were trying to convince my parents, because it was satanic panic time. Mm-hmm. And so people were like, I don't know if you should let Josh play D&D. And they're like, mm, should we? And then, and then they're like, yeah, it's fine. So... It's nice. They're, they probably are pretty pleased about it now that you have like a career based on the. Oh yeah, now thing. they love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and to be f- to be fair, like they were never ever negative about it. There was a brief point in time, I think, when I was very young, like it, you know, like like ten, and playing D and D, where they're like, "What's going on with this?" You know, just due diligence of a parent, and yeah. then and then they were kind of like, "Oh, this is fine." So, yeah. No, oh, nice. Liv, did you ever have any games in particular that your parents like put the kibosh on for being like? Not satanic necessarily, but like uh, morally troubling. Yeah, whenever I played WoW for like uh, forty plus hours a week. <laughs> <laughs> what was was the <laughs> what was their problem with that? Were they were they worried that you were like uh, uh, were you? We're gonna move on to Fallout in a second. 
Uh, but were they worried that you were becoming like into a cult, or were they worried you were wasting your time? Or mm, I think I probably was wasting my time. I think that was probably fair. But it's not a bad thing to waste your time sometimes. Yeah. I think it was whenever I was in high school and just like staying up till like midnight and then waking up at 5 a.m. to like work before school and like just not sleeping and only playing WoW and going to school. That was <laughs> also playing WoW at school. Nice. That's a good trick back in the day. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like you were on your cell phone. Mm -mm. Mm. We but should move. Oh, God. I was just going to say so, by the way, um, sometimes when you sp whenever you speak to people, it always uses your party leader stats. So I'm going to try to actually get into the, uh, the, um, the cluster and test my, my speak Latin. So let's see here. So I set Beata, who has the highest speak Latin, to be my party leader. We'll see how this goes. Wish to study about saints in their library. All right, so my speak Latin got through. Hey. Basically, yeah. So so it, it didn't actually show that there was a check, but if you fail, basically they make fun of how shitty your Latin is and they just <laughs> kick you out. So yeah. But yeah, and then you can you can get into the ch the church's archives and then learn about different saints. And wow. Yeah, so this is kind of like how you learn new spells, but it's actually mm. just new saints. It seems fascinating. Yeah, it's pretty darn cool. It's but yeah, it's at the time it just dumps you in the world and it's like here's medieval Germany. Hope you enjoy it. And, you're like, <laughs> <laughs> like, and you um, did. I did. <laughs> I did. All right, I'm jump jumping in. So this game's going to be more familiar to a lot of you, I think. People know Fallout, right? <laughs> People played Fallout at some point? Okay. <laughs> if you're here at the show and you don't know me personally or have played Fallout, I don't know what you're doing here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I, 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 uh, I jumped back into this a few days ago so I could make a save because I did not want to play through. I didn't want you guys to have to sit through the beginning in the vault where you, uh, you're killing rats for you're like just walking through and 15 like minutes. Trying yeah. not to get hurt by rad scorpions. Pretty much. Yeah. So While I just wearing this shirt. Yes. <laughs> the blue shirt. <laughs> yes. No, his be kind to animal yeah. shirt. <laughs> just like, oh, Die. rat killing <laughs> for hours. So I yeah, this is running at a higher resolution, but obviously it's not really made for this, but okay. It's actually, I'm surprised how well you can read the text. Uh, yeah, I mean, so the original resolution here was 64480, which is twice as high as the last game we were playing. Um, but I'm running it at 1280 by 720, I think. Yeah. So yeah, but this is, I mean, this is the original Fallout. This is, um, you know, uh, this came out in 97, I think. Um, yeah, I'll just keep my su submachine gun, no big deal. Gates are closed for the night. I would like to enter your town. Sorry, no. <laughs> but this game was really influential on me because, well, one, it wasn't fantasy. Um, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> <laughs> hey, can I enter your town? The sentence is death. <laughs> Take that, it easy. That does happen a lot in fall. <laughs> I feel like. If something will happen and all of a sudden you'll be in a firefight with six plot-based characters. Like, characters in Portland. All right, let's try plot. this again. Okay. Now you're going <laughs> to chill, chill the fuck out? Okay, let's... I'll wait until morning so I don't step on the magic thing that makes you shoot me. All right. Can I go? Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, this game definitely was, like, one of the first RPGs I remember that was certainly not fantasy. Yeah, it wasn't fantasy. Um, it was a w it was a kind of an interesting retro future um, 
you know, because it has the, the very strong, like, uh, tube aesthetic to a lot of stuff. Pip-Boy and everything, too. The Vault-Boy, the yeah. Pip-Boy. Um, this was one of the... F- this is probably the first role-playing game where you could play as evil and it was not punished. Is, is this before Planescape? Yes. Okay. It's two years before Planescape. Wow. Okay. So, like, um, in the Ultimate games, you can play as evil, but that is not the right way to play. <laughs> and so everything is based around you being the avatar of virtue. Um, and in Darklands, like I said, you can be a bad Catholic, but that's like hard mode. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> you can't you can't pray to saints. And Again, like, as we said before, just like in real life. Yes, mm. and uh, and everything kind of goes badly for you. But in Fallout, it's really Fallout One. The world responds to you, mm-hmm. so there's not like this grand designer karmic wheel. I mean, it tracks karma, but. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but um, the game world doesn't punish you for being evil. It's just that the people in it respond believably to what you do. And so you can complete the game. Like, the first time I beat this, I got to the end, and um, I beat it. I, I did. I had, like, played a good, uh, a good, good guy, high karma run-through, and I went on a forum, and people were like, oh, did you get the evil ending? And I was like what? <laughs> I was like, how do you get that? And they're like, oh, I think you have to have a negative karma. So I, lo- I was like, okay, would it be faster for me to replay the whole game or load up my last save game, go back through the whole game and murder every man, woman, and child? <laughs> and that was faster. Um, <laughs> so that's what I did. I like went through it. I just, I just laid waste to every community. And then I went back and I got the evil ending. Um, Important but, math. But this game also, like, it also um, does stuff that games don't allow you to do anymore for reasons that one could argue are reasonable such as you can kill kids in this game um, <laughs> it, the game doesn't encourage you to kill children <laughs> but it's like it doesn't it, explicitly discourage you either sometimes kids may die in this game so um, but yeah so the whole game is basically like you can <laughs> okay so last time I tried oh oh and he noticed this he no, yeah okay I'm, I guess I'm not going to sneak sorry Oh man! So that's another thing is they they did so like low dialogue options were a thing or low intelligence dialogue options were a thing. People react to you having a weapon out or uh, or put away. Um, people react to you sneaking around without. Usually they'll attack you, but sometimes they don't. Um, so yeah, it just it was a very reactive game, and it just like allowed you to do all sorts of neat stuff. Um, like steal these guys. Like Nuka-Cola. steal these Nuka Colas. Which they're apparently totally chill with. This is a community Nuka Cola chamber. <laughs> um, it makes a lot of sense in the post-apocalyptic world that there'd just be community vaults. Of yeah. Food. Let me talk to this dude. Watch out for Gizmo and his cronies. <laughs> hey, what's up, man? Uh, who are you? What are you doing? I will say, no offense to to Tim and Leonard because I work with them now. But um, <laughs> yeah, the dialogue—the dialogue is not like super robust in Fallout One. There are some characters that are really good, but a lot of it is like fairly basic. Um, but more important than the quality of the dialogue is that you do have a lot of choice and consequence and reactivity. Junktown, this area is one of the. This was also a really cool one where Junktown. I can't remember the way that it eventually wound up, but it basically like putting. Oh geez, now I can't remember how it actually wound up in the game. But the design intent was that if you put killing in charge it actually, the town winds up much worse for okay. it um, because he becomes, like, really draconian and enforcing, like, law, whereas Gizmo is more, like, like hands-off with stuff. Right. Um, so it kind of does some neat stuff where it doesn't quite line up with the expectation that you might have had going into it. 
do you feel like that's something that you incorporated? Because, I mean, uh, and you don't have to speak. I'm not asking you to speak ill of any Fallout game, but, like... You are. I, <laughs> <laughs> I will not. I won't do it. Um, but, no, I mean, you, like, a lot of people will see differences between, like, Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 and Fallout New Vegas. And I think that's fair. I think they're different. Yeah, they're, they are different, yeah. Um, and so Fallout New Vegas was the one you uh, primarily worked on. And so, like... Do you feel like some of those, when you're describing, let me ask it this way, when you're describing those like choices that don't line up the way you want them to, right, mm-hmm. uh, or the way you expect them to, that sounds a lot like New Vegas. Is that something like you thought of in the past, in the older Fallout games that you wanted to incorporate there? Yeah, um, it's something that I wanted to incorporate from, from that I, I feel like I was inspired from in this. Um, I also remember, and I use this example a lot, and it's, it might seem corny or cheesy or whatever, but like... Um, does anyone remember there was a DC, this was back in the 80s, it was Heroes Against Hunger. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. <laughs> so Heroes Against <laughs> Hunger, remember when like people actually were paying attention to the fact that there was like starvation going on in Africa and, and pretending to care about it? Um, live Aid. And yeah, Live yeah. Aid and stuff like that. So DC made this Heroes Against Hunger thing, and there, one of the cover art things was like Superman holding, like, a little African child who was dying of starvation, and Lex Luthor is basically saying, you can't do shit! (laughs) He's like, you can't do anything about this! And I was like, yeah. (laughs) Like, what the fuck is Superman gonna do about it? Like, like spin back the world to before colonialism? Like, I mean, that's, like, about it, right? And so I started to think about, like, yeah, I mean, heroes and RPGs are, you know, like, very influential, and they can do tons of stuff, but there's always going to be stuff that they can't control because they can't, they can't, just can't fix everything. And sometimes they fix something, but it has an unintended consequence. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of unintended consequences or things that you might have been able to predict if you were paying a little more attention, um, yeah, that's the sort of stuff that I think is interesting because some people kind of complained when New Vegas came out that there wasn't an ending. Like, there were some endings that were definitively monstrous, um, but there wasn't one where it's like, people were like, how do I get the good ending? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't, like, someone, everyone is going to screw this up somehow. So, like, the NCR is going to screw this up somehow. Uh, the independent way is going to screw some stuff so, uh, up somehow. Mr. House is going to screw some up, and then the Legion is going to be the Legion. So it's kind of like, what, what bad things are you okay with? Um, and I think that when we think about like sort of because I, I went to school originally for music and theater and studied a lot of Greek theater and agony is at the center of a lot of Greek theater. So when you look at um, something like Antigone or like Orestes, that is about people choosing between two things that are virtuous but also have bad things about them. So like yeah. I need to obey my father, but I need to honor my brother in death or like I need to avenge my father's murder but I can't hurt my mother, who is coincidentally the murderer of my father. Um, so it's people being put in, the, um, in these situations where they're kind of asked, what do you value more? And that's something that I always liked about the be- at least the beginning of the Ultima games. At the beginning of the Ultima games, there's a fortune teller. I think all the Ultima games, maybe, maybe. Um, and the fortune teller asks you to choose between virtues. Mm-hmm. So it'll be like, this person is in this situation, do you choose to be honest or to be just? And you have to emphasize one over the other. And in doing that, you're, taking a, you're, you're sort of saying what you morally find to be more important. Um, and I think choices like that are more interesting than like, uh, do you smooch this baby on the cheek or do you kick him through the field, 
Yeah. Old pussy. And it's like, well, I mean, is that really like a choice? Um, kick the baby. Um, but no, it's like, it's, it's that, that's not really probing at anything that sort of makes you examine what your own values are. Right. What is this guy doing? Hey, man, what's up? Okay. Where did well, I get that? Yeah, where did you, where did I put that thing? Oh, put that thing. Oh, that's a little lesson. I don't know, buddy. <laughs> Liv, when you make moral choices in games, do you make them based on who you are or who your character is? Yeah, only based on how I am. Like, I will go in thinking I could play a chaotic character or be evil, and I never can. <laughs> I always always have to be good. But you play Horde a lot. That's very interesting that you think the hoard are bad. I would like to <laughs> like to hear more about that. Whoa! Holy shit! They're not. Uh, <laughs> they're uh, they're different. Is my yeah. They're different. How are they different? Uh, we gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I'm actually the same way. I, I one of my one of sort of my my gaming um, bucket lists is to play through um, uh, Planescape as a purely evil thing because. Um, Chris Avalon, who I believe you are friends with, uh, Josh. Yeah, I mean, he used to, uh, we worked together at Black Isle and then at Obsidian for, like, a really long time. Oh, crap. Do you not have enough room for that shotgun? I don't. That's a good, that's a good gun. Yeah. Well, maybe Ian can carry some things. Um, but uh, uh, Chris Avalon, I think, is, is quoted as saying, you know, like, basically it's, it's extremely difficult to play through as a purely evil character in um, Planescape because it just makes you feel like a true, like... Terrible person. Horrible. Like a <laughs> sociopath. Like, the things you have to do to just, like, ruin the people around you and do, like, terrible things. And it, it feels like such an interesting challenge to be like, well, it's going to be, like, absolutely against my own nature and do this for, you know, 70 hours or whatever. I do think it's interesting in, like... So the, the team that worked on Tyranny at Obsidian... Okay. Yes. They, they have a kill a bee. <laughs> They have a kill a baby quest. I mean, it's not literally like kill the baby the quest, but one of the ways that you can solve it is to kill the baby. And it's, um, there's like, I hate to say it, there's a good reason, but like there is a plausible is reason. Hitler? There's a, yeah, there's a plausible, thank you, Ben Shapiro. Um, there's a plausible reason why you might view killing the baby as the right outcome for the quest. Um, but it, it's like, yeah, it basically says, like, describes, like, your action is, like, hold the pillow over the baby's head. Wow. And so you're like, okay. Um, but but stuff like that, again, where it's, it's not just like, oh, yeah, like, I just came across a crib and I'm crazy. I'm going to kill this baby. <laughs> um, like, it's, it's, a, it's part of a quest where it's sort of asking you, like, do you really, do you have what it takes to kill this baby? Um, Are you a bad enough dude? Be- because, it's, because they're saying, like, you know, it is, it, is, it is sort of, yeah, it is sort of the baby Hitler thing where it's like, killing this baby may actually be the best thing. And you're playing a character that is just, Evil, by, yeah. by definition, kind of like, you know, the arm of an empire. So you're like, well... I'm already here, so... <laughs> Say no more. Yeah, exactly. Basically. Kill this baby. Yeah. <laughs> What's interesting, there, there's, a, there's a, a game that is a... It's like a, a straightforward adventure game. It's, of, uh, it's an adaptation of the... Um, I'm going to forget the author now. Unfortunately, someone will remember it. But uh, it's the I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. Um, Arlen Ellison. Ellison, thank you. Um, it's an adaptation of that story. And there's a, there's a part in it when you're, where your character clearly, like, for a bad ending... Because you can get this bad ending. It's these five people held in torment by an AI who simulates these terrible worlds for them. And the one is you're this guy who's just permanently hungry. 
And clearly there's a bad ending coded in initially where the, out, the choice to finish poorly is to eat a baby. Um, <laughs> and I read up on it because I was like, well, why can't I eat this baby? That's really weird. And apparently they took it out. Like it was in there and they were like, we can't have a game it's where you eat a baby. Like, you know, no, no one's going to accept this. Fallout, Fallout, How far we've come. Fallout 2 has a quest where you're supposed to assassinate the vice president of the NCR. And the way that it's set up, does anyone know this quest that I'm talking about? All right. So basically there's a force field and it's really hard to get at the vice president, but his kid runs through, like runs on a circuit that's timed at like 45 seconds. And so you actually have these, um, these guys, it's a time bomb. So you can say to the kid like, hey, can you give this to your dad? And just give him this dynamite and then just close the window and be like, cool. And he, uh, blow, yeah, you can blow up the vice president by... The game doesn't make you do that. <laughs> but it is a way that you can complete the quest. So, like, yeah, it's... Th- these, both Fallout 1 and Fallout 2, just have a bunch of stuff where it's like, you don't have to be... You absolutely do not have to be, like, super crazy as a, as a character to, um, to complete the quests. Uh, but sometimes that is a very, like, efficient way to go about doing things, which mm-hmm. I thought was an interesting approach. So what about this game, like, what about the plot and sort of, like, the, the inner mechanics and stuff like that, uh, outside of just, like, the morality? What about it is influential for you? Like, what led to New Vegas or what led to just your general stuff in, in, in directing? I really like that, um, I really like that the special system is a classless system. Mm-hmm. So it basically just focuses on your attributes, your special over here, your skills, there's a fairly limited number of skills. Um, and then you have perks and traits. And, it, and so it's like a very um, approachable game system, which I thought was really cool. Um, your concept of a character can just be like, I have these stats. These are the skills I focus on. That's my character. And you can kind of dive right in. Yeah. Um, I really liked that about it. Uh, the character advancement system is very straightforward. Every time you advance, you put points and skills. And every three levels, you get a perk, which, by the way, is why D&D 3rd Edition has um, feats. They were taken directly from Fallout. Um, oh. I, I, yeah, I don't know if I'm supposed to tell people that, but yes. Um, well, just told, <laughs> this is being recorded. I know. <laughs> but, um, but no, I mean, like, that, that's, that's where it came from. Like, it's a very, it's a very straightforward... By the way, the, the, I'm pretty sure the 3rd edition D&D XP table is the Fallout XP table as well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just like it's a very clean system. It's very easy to approach. Uh, it's very flexible. You can sort of, you know, you can change your mind and like, I'm, you know, like I don't want to focus on guns anymore. Now I just want to boost my speech really high. Yeah. Um, and then setting wise, I like that the, um, all the weaponry and stuff like that is kind of slightly stylized. Uh, Chris Taylor, who worked on the original Fallout, he was kind of like, okay, let's take where gun technology is in the late 90s and then kind of project a little bit into the future. Um, and I just thought it was a neat aesthetic. Um, the music is by Mark Morgan, and it's all kind of inspired by Aphex Twin Selected Ambient Works, which is just oh. like really cool. Um, yeah, it's just it's a it's a neat it's just a neat vibe to everything. Um, <coughs> so I really like open character creation systems, and I even said when I worked on Pillars of Eternity, which is a very D and D like game with classes, I said, you know, class based games are not like my favorite thing, but um, they make sense for the sort of game. I personally prefer games like this that are very open and flexible and you don't have to do a ton of pre-planning. You just kind of play the character and advance them how you want to over time. Yeah. I'm going to start a fight. 
Oh, that's a good. You know, we have three minutes left. I think that's a great way to. Wrap I'm gonna it die. Out. Here we go. <laughs> Everything is built on hexes, so when characters <laughs> run up, that's what they do. Where were those guys? Oh, they're in here, right? All right, let's die. Yeah. It's better to die to uh, to people in this game than like the weird animals in the in the world. I feel. Yep, definitely. Hey guys. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> Greetings. <laughs> I missed. That hit him? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's not great. <laughs> Mazel tov. All right. Huh. Uh-oh. Glad they were chill about it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Rough. All right, Ian. Come on up here anytime. <laughs> oh, no. Come on, Ian. <laughs> no! Oof. Oh! Did you put in the miss patch? No. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is that, I mean, th that's another thing is that because this is the, you know, late 90s, missing as, like, a thing that's really common in RPGs is still, like, all right, let's burst this. Wow. So, I was saying before that all of the, uh, all the death sprites in here, those were all, I mean, these are all sprites, so they're big contact sheet animations. All those had to be, um... They were done, like, one by one. There's an artist who still works for Obsidian, actually, uh, Brian Menzi. All those gore explosions he had to hand do, basically. So, <laughs> intense. All right, let's burst this guy. We were saying, like, before the show that the gore in this game feels more... Yeah. ...than, than, a, than a, like, a photorealistic game. Yeah. It's the, um, the... The sound design is really good. Um, that's another thing I really like about the all the weapon sounds and the... Extreme violent sounds are really good. Um, where's Ian? Did Ian? he die? No, he's there. Okay, cool. Um, maybe I should uh, use drugs. <laughs> <laughs> That's something you can't do. And uh, is that like they they patched that out of the Australian edition of Fallout? Um, is that right? something like that. Oh, Mentats. I don't want Mentats. Um, you couldn't, you couldn't take Mentats, I think. Or yeah. you couldn't take. Yeah. Yeah, they had some they had some interesting sort of rules about that. All right, let's see here. How about how about you? All right, there we go. All right. Oh no. Will Ian survive? Oh, he will. I think we're both going to survive. Wow. Looks like I'm going to win. Oops. Oh, I'm out of ammo. Uh oh. <laughs> oh no. I reloaded. Yeah, that's real wild, man. Yeah, it's, it's not. <laughs> I mean, it's all double resolution, so you can't quite make it out, but... I mean, like, I know... And that's role-playing. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're going to take a quick intermission and come back for some Q&A. Uh, Liv and I will have some questions, and, well, I mean, I'll, I'll give it to Liv. I feel like I've asked a ton of questions, and I have no more. Uh, Liv, I know you have some interesting ones, and I want you to be able to, and then the audience as well, to ask Josh some questions. You can ask me and Liv questions, too, but I guarantee I have nothing interesting to say. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Buy a beer. Videos about, like, the making of or whatever. All right. Welcome back. Sorry, I was hey busy guys. talking about Suspiria. We're talking about Suspiria now. Can you talk about Suspiria to the audience? Oh, uh, sure. We were just talking about... Uh, how the new one is so different, but very, very good. Yeah. Agreed. 
talking about choreography in general. It, it went from Fortnite dances to Suspiria. Suspiria. Yeah. Fortnite, da- uh, Fortnite dances. How Kate Bush's dances from w- the Wuthering Heights video mm-hmm. should be in Fortnite. Right. And then you were talking about a VHS of all of her red shoes videos together. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then I was talking about uh, Italian horror movies on uh-huh. VHS and then Suspiria. Yeah. So now you guys are all filled in on what we were talking about. We just thought we it's could. It's like you were there at intermission too. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we could uh, class up Kate Bush a little bit by associating her with Fortnite. Yeah. You no. know, she's a pretty low brow, and so I just wanted to elevate her a little bit. Well, you know, it's, it's everyone wants to be part of Fortnite, but can everyone be part of Fortnite? Mm-mm. Do you have what it takes to be Fortnite? No. <laughs> Mr. Fortnite. <laughs> no. <laughs> Liv, I actually, before you ask your question, I have a question for you. Favorite Goblin soundtrack? Um. Suspiria. Well, yeah, I saw uh, I saw Goblin Live like playing the whole uh, ah, score so for jealous. Suspiria. Wow. Yeah. Nice. How many the same weekend that I saw the, the new audience. Suspiria. Listen to Goblin. They're, Goblin. <laughs> <laughs> They're great. But they um, were very good live. Well, oh, I think I it's bet. just like the guy, the guy, Gob- Mr. Goblin, um, and then uh, Mr. Goblin and Mrs. Fortnite. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if only I could be Mrs. Fortnite. <laughs> So I believe you have a question for Josh. Well, yeah, let's just keep talking about Kate Bush. We've been Do talking it. about Kate Bush all day uh, because of the microphones that Kate Bush... Uh, That's right. It was the pioneer of mm-hmm. the... What is the style of mic called? Just like Thank you. Sure. Yeah. So she could be hands-free. A hands-free and icon. And yeah. do moves, yeah. But absolutely. If... Uh, hmm. So what, like... What energy draws you to Kate Bush? Like, what is it about her music? Um, it's, uh, well, her vocal range is really incredible. Um, and the f- I guess that it's so, she's so dynamic as a singer. Mm-hmm. So, like, I grew up um, singing in, in my home. My dad is a musician, plays acoustic guitar and plays piano and sings. And I grew up singing in the, in the home and then went to school briefly for, for vocal performance. And so just because she's such a dynamic singer. And then when I finally started seeing like videos of her actually performing. I was like, at first I was like, what is she doing? Um, but she's just so like energetic and crazy. And yeah, that's the vibe. It's mm-hmm. good, good stuff. What faction in New Vegas do you think she would join? Ooh. See, this is tricky because <laughs> we were just talking about how she probably hangs out in a castle and mm-hmm. is unconcerned by political stuff. So, well, by that token, you might suggest that she supports Mr. House, who is also a recluse. Mm. But if we're being a little more charitable, maybe independent. Hmm. Oh, that's nice. How about Jeb? Classically, uh, Chapo Trap House's Virgil Texas has been encouraged to play as Jeb in uh, Fallout New Vegas, Jeb Bush. <laughs> with, with an exclamation point. Jeb! <laughs> By the way, someone pointed out that what's crazy about the whole Jeb exclamation point thing is that that wasn't a new thing for him. His <laughs> old campaigns for other political offices used Jeb exclamation point and either no one made fun of it or no one made fun of it enough <laughs> to if make him not do it. If it ain't broke. Yeah, well, I guess we pushed it past the breaking <laughs> line. Um, I would say, I guess Jeb would probably support Mr. House because he's the kind of like pseudo-libertarian-ish guy. It's, it's charitable to not say Caesar's Legion. Well, that's maybe, maybe a little much. But <laughs> we have to calibrate our, our darkness. Well. So, Yeah. There you go. Just like everyone think on that a little bit. No. Yeah. <laughs> Where's Jeb? Exclamation point on the darkness scale. I would say he's he's not quite as dark as Caesar, but yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, 
Liv, do you, uh, do you have, obviously, famously, dialectics uh, makes its way into uh, New Vegas. And I would know this because 800 people have sent me that screenshot where uh, Caesar is quoting Hegel, um, because I love Hegel. Uh, but uh, if there's a philosophical concept you'd want to see in a video game, uh, maybe if you had a friend who was a video game developer, designer, and director, mm-hmm. uh, that could include it. Uh, wh- what philosophical concept would you want to see in a video game? Hmm. Give me some options. <laughs> Boy. Um, the whole yeah, it doesn't feel nice. Right. Uh, well, you could do, you could do Kantian uh, understandings of like uh, judgment, hmm. uh, the beauty, uh, or uh, the idea of the numinous, the thing you can see, you can't see, but is. Uh, you could do phenomenology, uh, how the world works from sort of like a, fen- like a, a phenomenon as opposed to an understanding perspective. Uh, Pure reason, practical reason, dialectics, uh, existentialism. I've you know, whatever. You yeah. got any, any of these working for you? Um, maybe like Lady Gaga. <laughs> it's too hard. Yeah. <laughs> that would be difficult. What does it mean to be what is Lady it? Gaga? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question, actually. So you want sort of like an art student cum pop star cum... Um, yeah. Where is the pop star game? I think Bayonetta is the pop star game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, although although Dante has a nice Michael Jackson moment. Oh yeah. Uh, in the new Devil May Cry, by the really way. Really unfortunate timing. Yeah, maybe Dante. the timing <laughs> is not great, but I, I at least appreciate the moves. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, I feel like you know maybe that's true. Maybe like action games are the are the pop star of the moment, in that like Devil May Cry is the only game that I know that is brave enough to have you use a motorcycle as a sword-based weapon, yeah. and Bayonetta is the only game brave enough to have you play a, uh, a motorcycle chase scene where you jump on and off the motorcycle and beat up angels on trucks. Yeah. Um, so, no, I mean, that's, if, if that's bravery, then it's Gaga. Mm-hmm. So, I, my Bayonetta lore is a little fuzzy, but um, her clothing is her hair, is that... Um, that does appear to be correct. Okay, yes. cool. Yeah, I was just, just, yeah, okay. Well, and, and, and you'll note that when she does her special attack, um, the hair has to come off to form a demon. Yes, she's, true. Um, well, it has to. She's, well, yeah. What would she do otherwise? Duh. Where's the demon going to come from? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a game about empowerment. I, I feel empowered. <laughs> I do feel like it's, like, the most empowered I felt playing a game. I'm like, man, this is how dudes feel all the time. <laughs> It helps that she's also like eight feet tall. And, yeah, you know. I like that she's uh, like she's somehow very sexy but grotesque. Like she's not super nice to look at. There's something very weird, but uh, yeah, it's pretty nice to look at. Okay. <laughs> um, no, you're right. I mean, there's like it's definitely a very. Um, it, it, it feels like a lot of gamers discovered that they really liked like BDSM when they played Bayonetta. <laughs> right? like, it feels like a bunch of, like you can sort of see like a bunch of gamers having a very awakening moment. They'll be playing the game and be like, oh, this is what I like. <laughs> I wonder what this is called. <laughs> a giant foot stomping me. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> um, we have 12 minutes left. Should we turn to the audience? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, boy. Audience members, questions for Josh. Josh, you can pick if you want. Hello. All right. Uh, two, two related questions. Um, was there ever a possibility for New Vegas to have been an isometric game? And also, how do you think the isometric perspective uh, beyond nostalgia adds to the genre? 
either mechanically or narratively or aesthetically. Yeah. Um, no, there was no. There was never really any any discussion of New Vegas being an isometric game because it was from the beginning. It was basically take the Fallout Three engine and just move with it. So with that in mind, like that whole engine is built around being first person or close third person. Although pretty much everyone plays it in in first person. Um, isometric, uh, you know, because so I started working on isometric games. Icewind Dale was the first game that I worked on, and then came back to it for Pillars of Eternity one and two. And it is, I think, a much better perspective if you want to control multiple characters at once. Um, it, it does kind of feel like you're moving around in a space in a very different way. Your sense of exploration is very different from how it is in first person. There are things that you can do in first person that you can't in ISO. In ISO, you can kind of give this... It's just a different way of looking at the world, really. Um, and I think it also just kind of disconnects you from your individual character a little bit more. It really kind of forces you to view the world as this like collection of things kind of all related to each other. In first person, it really is locked to exactly where you're looking. And there are very cool things you can do with a first person perspective that you can't in ISO. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a different feeling um, and it's more suited to, diff uh, especially things like party control, I think works a lot better, especially with like five or six characters is way easier in ISO than first person. So um, this is a really nerdy question. I apologize. Uh, when <laughs> Pillars Two came out, uh, a lot of people said that, especially towards the end, the uh, the critical path was a bit hard to follow, especially regard to like the nature of the gods or nature of the universe before the wheel was established. And I believe you, you commented on your your Tumblr that there were a couple of of issues about that. And I was wondering if you could go back and redo kind of the pacing or the structure of the critical path of Pillars Two. Uh, if you might do something different to kind of explain the world or explain the stakes a bit better, and if so, how? Yeah, I think that, so in, in Deadfire, there were two things, and I'm, I'm responsible for the, for the bad things here. I'll just take, I'll take credit for that right away. So one, <laughs> one of it is uh, I wanted to have there be a temporal conflict and then a, a like, you know, deity-level conflict that started separate and that only you were really aware of what the, the, the sort of like deity conflict was, and then they would come together toward the end of the game. But the thing is, each of those plot lines, especially the temporal sort of real-world conflict, were complex enough that like just tying those things up together um, on their own was a big challenge. And so it probably was a mistake to try to have four factions going forward that then come together at the end, and then also this deity plot line merges with the temporal plot line. So I think that fundamentally, if I could go way back, I would try to think of a different way to just approach that entirely. Um, arguably, there's one too many factions in the story overall. Um, there are two colonial factions, and that's part of, because I have a degree in history, I was like, there are so many cases where a native culture is basically trying to be played by multiple colonial cultures and I thought it would be a more interesting dynamic if you could see the different ways that different colonial powers interacted with them and how they interacted back. But that means that there's, instead of three factions, there are four factions. So that's that much more work to contrast each other. And it's, I think it's a good contrast, but there are, are costs to doing that. Um, and then, yeah, like e even if I couldn't do all of that, though, I would probably look again just at, at the late game pacing. Um, one thing I was very, very, very concerned about, I guess overly concerned about, is having the player in conversations for a long time at the end of the game because I didn't want them to feel like everything ground to a halt. 
And so with the AFS conversation, it was running kind of long in places. And so I pulled out some pieces of information where I was like, I don't think people need this to understand where the plot is going. Wrong. Um, <laughs> actually, it's not so much that, and they didn't need to know where the plot was going, but they needed to know what the consequences really were. And so I pulled that stuff out. And then when we played through it, no one said like, whoa, where did the stuff go? And I think it was because we had all internalized what the consequences and the stakes were. And so we didn't question like, does the player actually know what's going on here? So yeah, those were all choices that I made that weren't good. And so yeah, I would probably try to revise those going all the way back to the fact that there are these two big plot lines coming together and there are four factions. So yep, next game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tom, yeah, I saw it. Uh, are you influenced by any JRPGs in any way? And if so, like, which ones and how? Um, not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't, I, don't, I don't really play JRPGs. It's just they've, they've never really appealed to me very much. Um, I, I sort of understand what the appeal is to people, but, uh, yeah, I just kind of bounce off the aesthetic of most of them. Um, yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna make Josh run around a lot. Hey, Josh. Uh, Trevor uh, mentioning the uh, possible playthrough of a Jeb Fallout New Vegas run, and my own personal uh, many attempts doing self-imposed runs in New Vegas uh, remind me of the fact that it's like one of the most open-ended games I think I've played in that respect, where people can really just like sort of you know impose their own challenges. And that got me wondering because you clearly think about it a lot. What's the weirdest or like most uh, you know most absurd like self-imposed constraint you've put on yourself when playing through a game? Get ready. So <laughs> I, I play the Elder Scrolls games as a character, the same character every time. His name is Black Donald. He's a Breton. He has a comb over. He's hideously ugly. He loves the Night Mother from the Dark Brotherhood. I mean, and, he, and he kills anyone who says anything racist. <laughs> Ever. And... Um, so this poses challenges in the game. Also, <laughs> so someone actually, it was funny because I said this on Twitter and someone said like, well, what do you do with plot critical characters? And I'm like, he tries to kill them and then he rationalizes that the Night Mother does not want them to die and then he moves on. Um, but like, uh, I actually was going to side, I, so I, I just did a playthrough of Skyrim and I avoided uh, the whole Stormcloak um, Imperial thing for a long time. And then I was like, I got to a point where I was like, no, you got to deal with it. I'm like, oh, fine. So um, I went to, is it Whitehelm? It's, what I, it's, it's where you start the Stormcloak thing. And I go in and right away, they're super racist. And I'm like, bye. <laughs> I guess I'm Imperial now. And so like, I, went, I went over, because they were like being super mean to this Dunmer woman. And I was like, what's up with that? And she's like, oh, yeah, they're super racist. And I'm like... So, so yeah. Then I went on just this killing spree of killing like all the storm cloaks and, um, but yeah, that's and so like in Oblivion when I played that character, because um, they all have, the characters all have their sort of uh, bark strings where when you're walking around they'll just say stuff, and so if I was walking around and I heard someone pass another character and be like, shitty dark elf, I'd be like, you're gonna die tonight, and then I would just like <laughs> follow them to their house. And then I would wait until night, and I would break in, and I would just kill him, and then I would leave. And uh, <laughs> so yeah, like just that's my role playing constraint is that is that the racists die. Wow. Yeah. You were Antifa before it was like a thing. Yeah, and then and then in Skyrim, I um, I did the Dark Brotherhood quest line, 
And when I finally got, um, I can't remember what the name of the, uh, is it Hearthfire? The name of the expansion where you can get your own house. Mm -hmm. um, I modded in the ability to um, get the Night Mother's crypt in the bedroom. <laughs> so like, so that, that was in the corner. And then the door, the like creepy door where it makes the weird noise, like that was his headboard for his bed. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was, that, that's, that's my self-imposed role-playing challenge in the Elder Scrolls games. I love Black Donald. Yeah, it was yeah. fun. We stand. We stand Black Donald. We stand nice. Black Donald. That's I was nice. actually really, I was really happy because I, I kept posting pictures of him just like standing over arrow peppered corpses because he's a sneak thief and um who isn't in skyrim um but then one of my coworkers, hannah drew she was doing her morning warm-up and she actually drew a, a sketch of black donald inspired <laughs> by his grotesque appearance <laughs> and i was really happy i made it my avatar on slack so it was, it was um, inspirational yeah that's lovely uh, we have time for a couple more i think actually good to go oh, i thought i saw <laughs> Josh, did you find someone? Bill's handle. What the hell? I'm so bad at that. All right, who wants the microphone? Hi. Ever since I think it was Neverwinter Nights, I feel like computer RPGs have flirted with this idea of like giving design tools or, or toolkits to the player. And I, I, think, I think you were on Neverwinter Nights too, so you maybe have a little experience in this. Um, it seems like maybe that period was kind of a fluke and that's kind of fallen out of fashion. I'm curious where you feel, how you feel about like having that component to a role-playing game and, and if it's important to you as a designer? Um, so I think that the first, the highest priority, um, and this partially is, par is due to laziness, but also uh, just practicality, is th the first thing I try to do is make sure that our file formats are as open as they can be. Because in a lot of cases, modders, modders just need to get their fingernails over the edge of something, and then they will like pull their whole body up like <laughs> this. Like you can, it, it's like if you just have an open file format, they will find a way to make tools to get at the stuff inside. Um, Pillars one, I think we used a lot of Unity asset bundles, which were just black boxes of nonsense as far as modders were concerned. Um, and on Pillars two, we went with XML uh, for pretty much all of our file formats other than the scenes themselves. And then modders are like, whoa, I can do all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, so that's like the highest priority is just make it easy for people to get at the data because once they can get at it, they can probably do a lot. Um, listening to their feedback, some, because sometimes there are little things that we can do on the code side that make things incredibly easy for them. Um, having full robust tool sets is, I don't know, it's a challenge because I personally feel that uh, Bioware did a better job with Neverwinter 1 than we did with Neverwinter 2 as far as tools were concerned for two reasons. One, um, the Neverwinter 1 tool sets were extremely user-friendly. Like, they're, they're simple in a lot of ways and kind of primitive in certain ways, but it was very easy for kind of any old person to jump in Neverwinter 1's tool set and build something. Neverwinter 2 was a dev tool, and it really was designed like a dev tool, and it was almost torturously hard to do certain things, so much so that when, <laughs> when Neverwinter 2 came out, there was this big group of people on a forum saying, uh, on our forum saying, this is not the tool set that you built the game with. We want the real tool set that you <laughs> built the game with. And I said, you're right, it's not. Ours was shittier. You're <laughs> using the end result of like two years of a shitty tool set that finally is kind of okay. Um, <laughs> but it's so much work and effort to support a tool set internally and then when you also have to make it player facing for end users who are just going to jump in and do whatever they want it's a lot of time and a lot of effort 
I still think it's worth it if you can find the time to do it, but it's not something you can kind of decide to do like halfway through development, like, why don't we just give these tools out? <laughs> like, it's, it really has to be incorporated <laughs> into how you're thinking about developing the game. And it's something that I think Bethesda, like, I really think it's great that they just keep supporting their tool sets because those are, man, I got to say this over and over and over again, like, there is no way that we would have made Fallout New Vegas in 18 months without that engine and tool set. Like, I know people like to complain about, and there's stuff to complain about, but, like, it's so user-friendly. It's so easy to jump in and just make content. Um, so it's great as a development tool, but for someone who is interested in modding, like, that platform is one of the best because it's just so simple to jump in and do stuff. So I think it's important, but is it more important than making a good game? No. Um, RPGs, I think, can benefit a lot from good end-user tools, so when you can support it, I think it's a good idea. Uh, we have time for one quick question. Uh, that's my dad or Rob? That's my dad. So clearly your, your historical back, your history background has influenced you a lot in development, that sort of thing. Is there anything on the, on the literature side, writer side, art side, whatever, that has influenced you as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of have a, a great, um, great fortune of being a dilettante for many years. Um, so, like, kind of putting my fingers into things and then deciding not to go any further. My, my father is a sculptor, um, so I wanted to be an illustrator for most of my young life. Um, then I'm colorblind. That makes being an illustrator kind of challenging. So, yeah, <laughs> colorblindness. Um, um, awesome. Um, I actually did go to school for music and theater, and I actually wound up using, I, I, was, I was saying before, I'm actually on the Fall at New Vegas soundtrack. Um, I wound up singing some songs for that. Um, and then my theater background, I think, comes in useful for a lot of different things. So I, I believe that kind of like putting my, my fingers into a lot of this stuff a little bit, like, I know my place. Like, I'm not, I'm not like, going to tell the music guy how to do the music, but I can talk to our composers and, and speak a language that is comfortable for both of us to work with them. Um, and when, when I do writing and then I go into the studio and work with voice actors, I don't direct those sessions because that's not my job. I'm the writer, but I understand the sort of things that they're thinking about and, and going through. So I think having that broad background has been really helpful for me. All right, well... That took us right to the end. Hooray. Uh, I want to thank Josh for coming. I want to thank Liv for coming. Oh, it's you. been wonderful. And thank you all for coming as well. You know where to follow Josh on his many platforms and by Obsidian Games. Uh, you can follow Liv at AV Club. At AV Club. At AV Club. A-V-E-Y-C-L-U-B on Twitter. Yes. Um, By the way, the Onion stole that from her. That's I know. true. Isn't it good? It's incredible. middle school AV Club. She's had that, <laughs> she's had that <laughs> handle for 25 years. <laughs> uh, and I'm Hegel Bond, and uh, you know the podcast, so I hope you listen. Uh, thanks, everyone. <laughs>